Hey Divergent, and uh, anyone else who is leaning in, uh, can I thank you for leaning in, in this uh, today, uh, wherever you are, whatever in a sense circumstance you're walking through, can I tell you that the Spirit of God is with you, the Spirit of God is calling uh, you to Himself and to, uh, to Jesus to be conformed to His image, to to, to glorify the Father, the Spirit of God is ready and willing and, of course, able to empower you for the journey that you are called to. You know, it's interesting, in times of intimidation and confusion, we often turn to questions of how do we uh, walk more boldly, and it's a good question, or how can I walk with more conviction and clarity? Again, good questions, but I think there's a tendency at times to try and convolute, ironically, what the answer is. We come up with strategies, we come up with pathways, and we come up with what I would call nearly very secular humanist ideas rooted in our own humanity as to how we can walk with boldness and walk with confidence in life. And you know, in Acts 4.13, uh, Peter speaks and it says that they noted uh, that he had been with Jesus. And the reason they noted that he had been with Jesus is because they saw a group of unschooled, ordinary people who spoke with courage and spoke with boldness. And I want to encourage you, maybe you view yourself as unschooled or ordinary, but the, the purposes of God that work in you and the power of God that can work in you and through you makes you an extraordinary person that will confuse people. So maybe you're reading something that's just about humanity and just about the human person. That's fine to a certain degree. We're made in the image of God, um, although broken by sin. But more importantly, in this journey, if there is a vision of God for our lives, if there is a vision of God for the kingdom of God, then it comes with the provision of God. And the provision of of God is the Spirit of God who gives us power to be witnesses to Him in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. The very presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is with us and is for us. In Joel 2 28 through 29 it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I want you to hear this, everyone gets to play. You know, there may be a different role for you in the body or a different place for you in the purposes of God, but everyone gets to play. He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh who seek Him. He will pour out His Spirit on men and women, the young and the old, the poor and the wealthy, the intellectual and the tradesmen. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how you've defined yourself. It doesn't matter what cultural background you have. The Holy Spirit can be poured out on you, can overflow from within you as a believer so that you might be empowered for the mission of God. In Matthew 3 verse 11, uh, Jesus is speaking. It says, I indeed, or rather um, John the Baptist rather is speaking. And he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Note that baptism in water. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. 
and he will baptize you. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit uh, and fire. Keep on coming with me because these, these promises are important and they help us understand the purposes of the Spirit in our life. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I depart, I will send him to you. Keep on hearing more scripture because I want you to know that the word of God and the spirit of God work together. The, the spirit of God has inspired the word of God. And so it's, it's only true and it is only right that the word of God inspired by the spirit of God uh, compels us and moves us and motivates us into the things of the spirit in everyday life. You are not called to be simply some word person that's trying to dissect scripture like you are a doctor dissecting a corpse on a table. Rather, we are called to be a word and spirit people that understand that when the word of God is truthfully spoken and truly spoken, it brings life to the dead. It brings restoration of relationship between those separated uh, from God from their own sin. Keep on hearing this as uh, we come to Luke 11, 9 verse 13. We're going to hit a lot of text today and uh, probably in the next coming week or two, I want to unpackage a little bit more of this and I'll probably do it online, whether it's by uh, blog or vlog. Uh, so if you've got any questions in regard to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, as I would often rather call it, um, or tongues or the gifts of the Spirit or whatever it might be, can I encourage you, shoot us a message. I would love to address some of those things because do not settle for less than everything God has for you. Do not settle for less than everything that God has for you. It's not arrogance, it's humility to recognize that you need more of what God has for you. If you think you are enough where you are, then that is essentially a heretical and it's a rebellious and it's an, it's an arrogant position. Each one of us need more of the Spirit. We need more uh, of His Word. We need more understanding of our position before God as Father and King and Creator of the universe. The more we understand about who He is and we get ourselves in perspective as heirs and sons and daughters of the kingdom, the more we understand that we are called and we are able in the Holy Spirit to achieve the vision that He has put before us. Luke 11 verse 9. 3 to 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, uh, seeks finds. And he who knocks, uh, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give you a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg... Will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil in comparison to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, this is important because this is Jesus speaking here. This is also Luke, by the way, uh, who's recording uh, in this text. And he records, of course, uh, the book of Acts as well. And he's, he uses similar semantics. Similar language to describe the expectation we can have of the Spirit. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask 
for him. You can see more about this in Luke 24, 49, John 7, 37, Acts 1, 5, of course, as there is an expectation placed on those who are following Jesus that he's going to give them the Spirit. And the Spirit has been given before, but largely simply to prophets, priests, and kings. But now we are truly coming into uh, his own as a nation of prophet, priests, and kings. Acts 1.8 continues in this same thread as uh, Luke continues to write about the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The point of the power of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness to the very ends of the earth, to achieve the purposes that Jesus gave his disciples uh, in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's a promise that he would be with us, even to the very end of the age. We cannot, we cannot achieve the vision of God without the provision of God I don't know whether you've had an experience with the Holy Spirit in the past, but can I tell you, there need be an ongoing feeling, an ongoing fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is always a first time, and we could, we'll talk about this in a little bit uh, later. There's always, in a sense, like the marriage date, but the marriage date is all about the, uh, the wedding date, rather, is all about the marriage, married life. It's not about the day, it's about the life. And so in the same sense that when we encounter the Holy Spirit, this is about the life that is to come and what we will do in it. Acts 2, 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven uh, and of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Quickly, just three baptisms that are particularly unpackaged throughout the New Testament. And it's important to recognize that the idea of baptism is not a New Testament idea. Baptism didn't start with John the Baptist. It comes from the idea of mikvah or being fully immersed. And it's what the Jews would do and they do to this day to be made pure, to separate themselves from the ways of the world. And they would do so before they would go uh, to the temple or they would do so after they had become ritually unclean. They would then become ritually clean. They would be prepared for the service uh, of God. And this is important for us as well because mikvah or this idea of being set apart happens in moments. It happens in life, but it happens in different ways as well. So there's three baptisms spoken of, particularly in scripture. There's some others that you can refer to, but these are the core elements. And the first is simply the baptism into Christ by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. This is the place of salvation. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. We become part of his body and his identity becomes our own. And this 
idea of being in Christ is crucial in Scripture. I've said it once and I'll say it a thousand times. In Ephesians 1, in the first 14 verses, nine times, it talks about being chosen in Him or placed in Him or set apart in Christ. When we come to Christ, it's not about Christ coming into our heart. It's actually primarily about us coming into Him. And so it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. It doesn't matter where you've come from, when you come to Christ, Jew or Greek, um, African, Asian, European, North American, South American, Pacific Islander, wherever you are from, Middle East, it does not matter. We come into one body and our identity becomes uh, the same, that of Christ. It's not about leaving behind our cultural background, but it is leaving behind our sinful background, our identity that is rooted in self. And we become identified with Christ. Secondarily, of course, there's the baptism in water for identification. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Symbolically, uh, we die to ourselves and we, we symbolize that in going under the water and we rise to new life in Christ. And thirdly, Jesus baptizes us or immerses us in the Spirit. And we, we talked about that in Matthew 3 verse 11 and it's for the purposes of mission and ministry. Remember, I'll repeat it, Matthew 3 verse 11, I indeed, uh, John the Baptist is speaking, baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie or to, to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. When you take your concordance, uh, if you've got a concordance, I uh, and you look up every text in Acts where the Holy Spirit works in believers, it is never subconscious. It is, an, it is a conscious immersion in the Spirit for the power to witness. And my point in saying this is uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not some subjective experience that may or may not happen. It's a conscious experience and many people who are reluctant to lean into the things of the Spirit often use the Word as an excuse. But can I tell you, the Word is not your excuse to avoid the things of the Spirit. The Word is your, your reason to be propelled into things of the Spirit. There is never a case where it's an unconscious experience. It's a conscious immersion into the Spirit. And it says in Acts 19, verse 1 and 2, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, I want you to keep this in mind that the way Luke uses uh, his references in terms of receiving the Spirit in Luke and Acts is entirely to do with the reception of the Holy Spirit for power. Paul arguably uses uh, similar uh, language, speaking of salvation or inclusion in the body. But Luke, uh, as a theologian and as an historian, uh, need be understood in his own semantic. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And this question betrays a perspective in Paul who understands that you can believe and have not received the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to note that we understand that every single believer has the Spirit. We have the seal of the Spirit in our salvation. We have the indwelling 
of the Spirit in us, but the baptism of the Spirit is not about an indwelling in the Spirit, uh, or rather an indwelling of the Spirit in us, but rather the dwelling of us in the Spirit. Baptism. So why should I be baptized or uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit? And it sounds ridiculously obvious to me, but I still think there's a reluctance in many people. And the, the first simple reality is this. A kingdom vision cannot be achieved with human resource. A kingdom vision cannot be achieved with human resource. It is the ultimate arrogance to live as if we can bring the kingdom of God through earthly means. It's the ultimate arrogance. It's, it's, it's not impressive to God us using our mechanisms and our ways to achieve his purposes. Luke declares that the coming uh, spirit baptizer was himself anointed by the spirit. And we see this in Luke 4. It says this, The spirit of the Lord is on me when Jesus speaks here. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the vision of heaven coming to earth, uh, if it does not intimidate your flesh, does not cause your natural person to fear, then it's not a kingdom vision. It should be so immense that there should be something in you that feels the intimidation of the moment. But in you, in terms of the spirit, there should be an excitement that says, but I'm called for such a time as this. I am provided by the Holy Spirit who can enable me to do the works of God. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, so do you and I. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, this is not a salvation issue. It's obvious because Jesus was not unsaved. There was not a point in his life where he was unsaved. The reception of the Holy Spirit in this context is not about salvation. It is about mission. It's the, the opportunity and the ability to preach. It's the opportunity uh, to declare. And it's the opportunity and ability to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. There are five occurrences of the empowering of the Holy Spirit in Acts, all clearly are for the power of the Holy Spirit for mission. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. These are a group of men that had laid hands on the sick, that had raised the dead, had preached the coming kingdom. And yet Jesus still, hey, wait, Waits because the, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come. You're going to be better equipped for the journey. In Acts 1.8, just to remind you, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So straight up, the 120, including the 12. And Acts 2, 1 to 4, some would actually make the argument that this case is actually not the 120, but just the 12 uh, encountering the Holy Spirit in a first moment. And it says this, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty winds, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and... Uh, each one sat upon each one of them, and they, 
were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. Particularly underline if you're, you're reading out of a physical Bible, I'd encourage you to grab your, your physical Bible and underline. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Number two, we see it with the Samaritans. Acts 8, 5 through 8 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began uh, and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord uh, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For, though, uh, for unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, coming out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in this uh, city. Note, note this, these people had been converted, baptized in water, healed, delivered of demons, and made joyful. Yet they still needed the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John came to Samaria from Jerusalem when they heard that these people had been saved and water baptized. And it says this in Acts 8, 14 through 17. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that the Spirit, rather heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had not fallen upon uh, none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Noting just a difference there, by the way. They then laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Why? Keep in context, this is Acts, for power, for the mission of God. Note this with Paul. Paul encounters the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's important to note that he often referred to the Damascus Road experience as his conversion experience in Acts 26, uh, 12 through 18. He speaks of this. Paul even receives his call on the road. However, he did not receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit until three days later when Ananias lays hands on him. And it says this in uh, Acts 9, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road uh, as you came has sent me that you might receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just note the distinction going on here uh, and in the context, the purposes. This is not a salvation issue. We do understand through uh, wider text that every single believer has the seal of the Spirit, has the indwelling of the Spirit. But this is talking about the filling of the Spirit or the, the baptism of the Spirit uh, for each believer. Cornelius, let's keep on coming. Ten years after Pentecost, we find Cornelius, a Gentile military man, had an angelic visitation and was told to send his servants to, to Peter so that he would come and share with him the plan of salvation. And catch this, this is a bit longer. The word of the Lord, uh, which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus, where, uh, where in Acts uh, 10 verse 36, so we're going to read a bit. Uh, and I'm going to keep on moving pretty quickly today. One of the advantages is uh, if you need to, you can pause this uh, or you can go back and uh, re-watch some of this. Uh, I'll also put out some of the key text uh, and hopefully some notes for you. But it says this, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. 
uh, of all that were uh, that word you know, which was proclaimed through all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not, all, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him. And after he arose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he uh, who was anointed by God to be able to judge the living and the dead. Uh, to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, keep in mind, until this point, nobody that was truly outside of Israel the Samaritans were on the edge, you know, this maligned, half-Jewish style people. But Cornelius is a Gentile. And so the Jews at the time had a very Jewish-centered worldview when it came to the gospel, or rather to the, the declaration of the kingdom of God. One had to come to Israel to participate in the covenant. But now there's something different happening. The gospel is going to the nations actively. The Spirit of God is filling people, setting people free. And it says, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many uh, as came with Peter. Why? And this is important. Underline stuff. You should have a pen in your hand, uh, your, your uh, Bible open. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How do they know? For causal language. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water, baptism, talking about this, that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Acts 10, 36 through 48. And it's important just to note here, by the way, just quickly, that they hear the word. They are actually... Uh, we understand through what a text of scripture, they must have the seal of the spirit in their life as they believe. They are empowered with the Holy Spirit just spontaneously in the moment. Quite amazing. They speak in other tongues and later on they are baptized in water. There's some people that will try to argue that you need to be baptized in water to be saved. That's garbage. The baptism in water is crucially important as an act of obedience and you should be baptized in water. But can I tell you, it's important to note uh, that this is not a salvific issue, uh, but rather an important issue nonetheless. The household of Cornelius receives Christ as Savior and the baptism of the Holy Spirit immediately after being born again. And we find in verse 46 that they spoke in other tongues and motive, uh, magnified God. And this will be important as we move on uh, through this message. It says this, if you keep on coming, Acts 11 verse 12. Uh, Peter has returned to Jerusalem to give account of what has happened. It's important because in this text, uh, Peter actually establishes uh, Acts 2 as a primary precedent, not just for uh, those at the very beginning at the Feast of Pentecost, but rather all people. And he says this, Then the Spirit of God told me to go with them, doubting nothing. 
Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing uh, in the house, and who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you all, your household, will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.11 If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And note this, in this moment we see... Uh, the clear indication of the engagement of the gospel, which was already should have been clear uh, to the disciples in Jesus' command in Matthew 28 and uh, increasingly done so in Matthew, uh, rather Acts 1 verse 8. But in this moment, it's this empowering of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, both in salvation and in empowering and tongues itself, although tongues is not an evidence of salvation, uh, it's important to note that it's still the evidence of the grace of God on a person. And so they, their mind is blowing. Keep on coming though, because we're not done. The Ephesians, about 20 years after Pentecost. And I, I emphasize this because someone, some people try to say, oh, that's fine for them. But that's not really for us. That's description, they will say, not prescription. And it's partially true, but that's not actually the way Hebrews read Scripture. All scripture is God-inspired and useful for. Some people try to create a tier nearly of inspiration. Like Paul is top tier inspiration. And then Luke is a bit lower inspiration and so on. And you can tell by the preference they give. And we obviously lean into the writing of Paul because we understand it is scripture. It is inspired by God. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. As 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. Uh, but so too is the book of uh, Luke, uh, Luke and Acts. Uh, one of the interesting things about Acts 19 is we get the dovetail between Luke and Paul. And it says this in verse 1 of Acts 19. While Paul was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Just note his question again betrays his understanding that belief belief, and the reception of the Holy Spirit in power are not necessarily at the same time. And it goes on, and we soon discover that they actually don't understand, it seems, the gospel in its fullness. And it says, they, they answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Uh, we can speculate as to why this. They might have understood the gospel to some degree. Uh, but of course, to understand the gospel, you don't need to understand anything about the Holy Spirit. You need to understand Jesus. But we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and this is what Paul is addressing here. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John ba John's baptism. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Consistently, 
when we see the empowering of the Holy Spirit, uh, we see a couple of key elements. Uh, number one is it's conscious. It never happens without knowing specifically. Um, and I say this because there is a temptation in all of us to go, oh, yeah, maybe. No, no, no. Can I tell you, lean into this in faith and maybe you've not had a specific encounter with the Holy Spirit. Desire earnestly so. Not in fear, but in faith. Because guess what? God has more for you. It doesn't matter whether you've been saved for 20 minutes or 20 years. God has more for you. Lean into him. Don't lean back like this is an act of entertainment. Lean in like you're about to feast on the goodness of everything God has for you. Every good gift from above is from him. Number one, so it's, it's conscious. Number two, it's an empowering for mission. The vision of God is so big that without the provision of God, we cannot achieve it. Then, Thirdly, the person in the Holy Spirit can also ex fully expect to speak in other tongues and. Now, I'll go into it a li little bit more at times with tongues, but I do believe that God has given access to the ability to pray in a tongue. Each one of us, uh, every last one of us. Does it make you saved? No, it doesn't. Is it the greatest gift? No, it's not. But Scripture does say in 1 Corinthians 12 that we're to give special honor to those things that are, in a sense, more shameful. Tongues is the most unusual thing going. You could prophesy positively to someone and people are like, oh, that's really nice. You could lay hands on someone and they're healed and people are like really impressed. Uh, you could have the gift of hospitality and welcome people in ways that are impressive. But when you speak in another tongue, people are like, hey, that's weird. And 1 Corinthians 14 tells us why it's weird and why it's even discomforting. And the reason is when we hear a language of that is foreign to us, we perceive a different culture. We perceive a different ruler. Uh, and so uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 actually quotes a passage from Isaiah in reference to the Assyrians company coming because when when we hear a foreign tongue we know that there's a foreign culture a foreign way of thinking and a foreign authority in the same way when we speak in another tongue we're speaking a a language of a different kingdom a language of a different king and a language of a different worldview it's a it's a crucial shift it's so powerful to speak in other tongues but only because it maintains your ability to stay filled with the spirit and to move into everything else God has for you. To prophesy, to lay hands on the sick, to, to believe in ways that is unbelievable. And uh, I, just quickly, I think it's always important to know people always hear in their mind the one verse that they feel is in opposition to what I'm saying here. Do all speak in other tongues, it says in 1 Corinthians 12. But in the context there, it's firstly as talking about diverse tongues, but secondarily, all the gifts listed in that context are public gift tongues, are public gifts rather. They're for other people. They're unusual. And so it talks about the gift of faith. And if I were to say, do all have faith? The answer is actually, yes, they do have faith, but not all have the gift of faith. Do all have wisdom? We can ask from within the text of 1 Corinthians 12. And the answer is, well, not all have the word of wisdom, but actually we all can ask for wisdom, which is a heavenly gift, a grace. And so the same is the case. Do all have the diverse gift of tongues or do all have tongues? Well, not in the public benefit gift sense. No, 
because, and that must be interpreted, but do we all have access to tongues as a prayer language? And my answer is from Acts in particular, and also from Acts, uh, from 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul observes, if you all come and you speak in tongues, will they not say that you're out of your mind? They're all speaking in tongues. There's an ability to speak in other tongues, but they are using the tongues incorrectly. So can I encourage you, fully expect it. Don't feel guilty about it, whether you have or have not quite yet. There is no place for arrogance in the kingdom because it's all a gift. So what is the point of tongues? And the first answer is it builds up the believer. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, When I pray in a tongue, I edify myself. And maybe you're here and you're, you're down today. Maybe you're watching this and you're deflated. Can I tell you, pray in the Spirit. Desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. But maybe you need to pray in the Holy Spirit because it builds up your inner person. It builds you up. It reminds you that you are part of a different kingdom. It, it gives you a new language of the Spirit to pray in. It's not one of understanding in every regard, and that's clear from 1 Corinthians 14, 14. But it's one of the Spirit. It's one of our God. It's one of the Spirit of God in us. And it reminds you, can I tell you, of God's global mission. That the kingdom of God is not about human languages. It's not about human structures, cultures, or authorities. It's about the kingdom who sits on the throne eternal. It's about His kingdom of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Every time I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm acknowledging that my Australian identity is not my first or primary identity. I am a child of the kingdom of God. I'm excited about this. I belong to no nation except the royal priesthood and nation of Jesus. So how do I receive the empowering of the Spirit? And the simple answer is this, ready? Ask. Ask in faith and it shall be given to you. Luke 11 verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you fathers, I read this earlier, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for a, an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though being evil, give your sons good gifts to your children rather, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This comes from a conviction that God is a good father. Note this text. If you think that God is a scary guy in the sky... You won't ask like a son asks a father, like a daughter asks a father. You'll ask with trepidation and concern and fear. And some people are like, well, if I ask for the Holy Spirit, am I going to sound weird? The answer is maybe weird to the world, but you're going to be in tune with the Spirit. You've got to make a choice. Am I weird to the world or in tune with the Spirit? Because this is our choice. He wants you to position you for everything He has called you to. He wants you to give the tools that are required for the task. And you'll see in a number of contexts, we see that people uh, have uh, the elders or people lay hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. So maybe you do need someone to lay hands on you, to come beside you in faith. But we also see in the case of Cornelius that the Holy Spirit just fell on them as they were listening and receiving the word. So I'm going to pray for you in a moment. 
I'm going to pray that if you are asking for the Holy Spirit, if you're expecting to speak in other tongues, to, to prophesy, to lay hands on the sick, to, to live with boldness, that this would be your moment. You might be listening to it on the day I preach this, or maybe you'll be listening to it in a year. It does not matter. The Word of God is effective. It is able. And the, the, the Spirit of God is ready to spark something in your life and bring you new ability and capacity for the task that he's called us to. So let me pray for you. And then I just want to give you a last quote. God, I thank you that you're good. And Lord, I just pray for people that are leaning in right now and they are asking for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that they would lift their hands right now where they are. They would lean into you and they would ask to be filled with your Spirit to be empowered by your spirit, to be bold, to be emboldened for the task. Lord, I pray that they would speak in other tongues. Lord, but not just other tongues, Lord, that they would prophesy. Lord, that there would be gifts of faith, Lord, of words of wisdom and of knowledge. Lord, that there would be the working of miracles. Lord, that there would be the diverse gift of tongues and the interpretation of such. Lord, I pray that there would be hospitality lit on fire that... Things that seem natural will become unbelievably supernatural. That, Lord, wherever they are right now, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would come upon them as it came upon the believers in the Scriptures, as it came upon the believers throughout the history of your church, Lord, day one to, Lord, this day. And, Lord, that they would know your power, that they would know your presence, that they would know your purposes. Lord, that they would know that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate has been sent for them right now, that you are not a theory in a book. You are not simply a doctrinal. Uh, statement on the ages and the pages of scripture but rather you are the comforter you are the empowerer you are the one for them and so right now lord i pray that your holy spirit would come on them and they would pray in other tongues lord i pray that there would be lips loosed right now that any apprehension lord would be gone right now lord that they would pray in other tongues in they would pray in the language of the spirit lord but those also who earnestly speak uh, seek to prophesy that there would be words of prophecy laid on their hearts and their mouths right now. Lord, those who will, are willing and able and are asking, Lord, to go to the nations that you would burden them an insatiable need to cross cultural boundaries. Lord, that the, the old men and the young men, the, the old women and the young women, Lord, the, the men servants, the maid servants, the, the, the people of every background, late nation, tribe and tongue right now in this moment. Lord, in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of the Father, Lord, would know your power, your presence and your purposes right now, right now, in your name. Amen. 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 You know, Henry T. Blackaby, and I want you to hear this as I, I wrap up, said, Will God ever ask you to do something you are not able to do? The answer is yes. All the time. It must be that way, he says, for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world. So can I remind you, the world is watching. So walk in the power and the presence and the purposes 
of the Holy Spirit. God loves you. He's called you. He's, he's, your, he's your father. And so expect good gifts. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you so you are equipped and ready for the mission of God so you might be bold and courageous. Amen. We love you, but most importantly, God loves you so much. Love you guys.